basically a nerd or a geek, come in, have these things figured out, and finally someone listens to them, and then the system actually works. This pitcher, he should be worth three, three million a year, but we can get him for like 200 something thousand because no one else really understands his value. The other 29 teams aren't doing it. So it's like they really went in like a ninja with stealth in that they plucked out these guys that because the numbers said so, but no one else knew them. It was just absolutely cool. Welcome to the 20 Digit Scene Review Podcast. I have myself, David, and co-host Alex. Hello, everybody. In the Scene Review Podcast, each of us pick a scene, and we review each. Uh, it is episode 16, so that's even, that's me. I have the honors for going first. And today's film that I will be picking is Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption is a 1994 film starring both Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins. It is largely regarded as, arguably, as the best movie ever made, according to IMDb. It's the highest rated film currently. So if you have not seen it, it is definitely worth a watch. It's not an official rating, I guess, of the best movie of all time, but a lot of people agree that this is an excellent film so it would be remiss for us not to consider a scene from from this movie which is why i have picked it in the scene that i've decided to pick there are some spoilers it happens near the end of the movie and i will be commenting on a few things that will lead to some major spoilers so if you have not seen this film i recommend that you um Watch it first before listening or viewing this episode. So the scene that I am uh, going to summarize uh, takes place between the two stars of the show. Uh, The characters are Red and Andy Dufresne, played by Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins. Takes place in the prison yard. Uh, They're sitting down and just having a frank conversation about life and dreams and hope which is a, a resounding theme throughout the film uh, film of this uh, film. <clears throat> One of the things that was interesting about this scene and what I used to relate, in, I think in episode 13, where I uh, reviewed Queen's Gambit, it's very similar, where we had the characters Jolene and Beth sitting down in a, a very intimate conversation between friends, And this is actually very similar. In some ways, it may have actually been inspired by it. Because in many different ways, it happens kind of near the end again. And there's sort of a turning point that really pushes the conclusion of the movie. So I wanted to make that interesting similarity uh, and parallels between the two pieces there. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to... uh, One of the themes that was interesting about this film is it's a bromance let's just call it the friendship between red and andy dufresne Uh, it grows remarkably well throughout the film and is culminated by this scene where they talk about and they share each other's you know nanny's sharing what he would love to do what he would uh if he had the chance to get out this is what he would do and it's at that point red 
kind of questions him and says, look, you, you got to get snapped back to reality. Like your dream is to go to Mexico, to Wantaneo, I believe the name of the town is. It's down there. You're over here. Like, let's just be straight. It's not going to happen. And at the very end of the scene, Andy says, I would say one of the most famous lines in movie history now is get busy living or get busy dying. Uh, It's a memorable and coveted film, a line in the film, in movie history. And it's worth noting because it sets the stage for the next scenes to come. the next scenes that do come, of course, is the fact that he actually escapes. And that is something that uh, is very surprising for viewers, uh, considering the, the tone of which the scene uh, unfolds. And this is the last point I'll make before I open it up for Alex to comment, is the fact that it, it's a very hopeful uh, unfolding of the scene you know it's it, the, the music is very haunting even at times a little bit dis, dissonant there's a middle section which kind of the orchestration comes in it's almost like a major i would say key so it's a little bit more happy but then as he says that line get busy get busy living or get busy dying it goes back to that dissonant sort of is he deranged is he is he insane is he is he has he lost it and it's beautiful for oh, I wouldn't even say foreshadowing, but it's 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 beautiful trickery, uh, misleading the audience a little bit to think that he actually commits suicide because that's sort of what happens um, uh, that could happen, and mm-hmm. there is a, a scenes leading up to the fact that he's not in his cell and there's there's this shock and awe thing going on. Of course, of course, he's not in the sound. He's escaped. But that's the, this scene sets that up completely. I remember watching this very closely at the time and was not, did not see that coming at all. And so I, I believe that the way this scene was constructed, everything from the dissonant tones used, if you look at Andy Dufresne or Tim Robbins' use of acting here, and it's, of course, it's remarkable in itself between the two, He's almost got this weird, insane look in his eye when he's doing stuff. So it's, it's almost like they're playing up to it, but then they put that twist at the end. So anyway, that's the last point I wanted to make uh, before just opening up here for Alex to comment. Hopefully right. I didn't spoil anything, Alex. I don't know if you've seen this film already. But... I Yeah, I had actually. But okay. so like for a lot of people, it's, it's been many years. So um, mm-hmm. the memories are pretty vague. And it's actually, I think it's because it was so long ago and just the overall dark and grim and fairly (laughs) unfortunate unhappy ordeal of of this guy's unjustly accused that was really the in the the forefront of of my memory and that's really what focused on so i totally forgotten about this scene to be honest but but there it is right and the whole thing of you know what they say about the pacific ocean and this is um yes you know one character saying uh how next the Mexicans culture they say the Pacific Ocean has no memory that stuck stood out for me that line in this uh, scene because we you know just waxing philosophical a little here you know there's no memory is that good or bad or is it both or is it either because you know thinking about my own life the, yeah okay there's a few things I'd like to forget or put behind me maybe more than a few things actually <laughs> but um there's also things that I, I want to remember and, and treasure and hang on to or 
thinking more generally about society or human history, memorializing things, I think that's that's pretty important where you know a given a given town or, or a, a state or province might mark a given day you know a country might mark a given day out of the year as the, well this is where we're going to remember whatever whether it's remembrance day or thanksgiving or whatnot and i think those are important again there's some i guess people in society where we're like let's not bother or we don't care enough and so you know if right. i'm a certain generation something happened 150 years ago what does that matter to me why am i learning history in, in grade eight or grade 11 or whatever it is so yeah it's it you know just to pause and think about that kind of thing where no memory that's interesting that you took away from that it's interesting that that one line took yeah sort of a personal tour there which is interesting yeah i um mm -hmm. so it's this this scene too is it's a, a great contrast and it's not just i think about these two particular characters in this particular setting but but humanity of on the one hand idealism and on the other hand hopelessness you know on the mm -hmm, one hand mm -hmm. realism on the other hand the optimism right and then right it's just the the kind of the human condition that you're you're going to be making that kind of uh, choice or, or judgment uh, again and again in life and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it it didn't really answer the question per se that you should always be optimistic or you should always be realistic or, you know, give up hope or have hope. It just kind of left it in there. Right. And that's okay too, right? Uh, right. So yeah, right. very cool scene. Yeah, I think that uh, personally, I, it's interesting about this film. There's no romance or sex, sexual sort of... Um, themes there there's no car chases or cape it's not a caper there's no action uh, it, it kind of departs from all the formalistic requirements that necessitate necessitates what you would think is success in a film mm -hmm. yep. it, it, it's completely there's an omission of all of those things but at the same time it's highly regarded as one of the best films of all time so it's interesting how that works so well and i think one of the things that are as i mentioned earlier is the bromance between the two i actually feel that this theme of bromance is uh is almost like a undervalued success marker in film and storytelling hmm. these days uh, i don't remember lenny series or movies in hollywood uh in, in in hollywood per se that that have used this quite a bit i mean there's the, a lot of comedies wayne's world or you know dumb and dumber and <laughs> bill and ted's right those types of things okay, right yeah. the, there's a lot of that going and I'm, I'm sure there's others that i can't think off the top of my head but i do believe that there is something here that people just genuinely like Bad Boys is another one, you know. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> Will Smith, right? <laughs> but uh, interestingly enough, if you follow a lot of what Asian cinema is doing recently, they've taken this theme and run with it. Uh, so I, I feel like uh, there's undervalued potential success with this that could be used in Hollywood that's not used as much as in Asian. Uh, especially uh, I've seen a lot of it coming about it's it's actually quite crazy uh, how often they use it but clearly it works uh, in this culture too so I'm, I'm hoping to see more and more mm -hmm. of it 
but yeah, I think that uh, one other thing, I'll, last thing I'll say, is that there's a lot of interesting foreshadowing too. Uh, Morgan Freeman's character, who he says something, he says something to the effect of, "Okay, stop. You know, you got to be realistic. Mexico's down there. We're up here." And he says, "Those are poo-poo pipe dreams." He doesn't say poo-poo. He he swears <laughs> using the <laughs> SH four four letter word pipe dreams uh and it's interesting use of line there because obviously oh yeah following scenes he's crawling through Uh uh a pipe of poo (laughs) (laughs) of uh yeah feces if you will uh so i thought that was clever usage of uh of scripts writing there yeah Uh, absolutely uh, i didn't even think about that and we're gonna have to (laughs) Mark major spoilers in our show notes, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, unfortunately, yes. There's, there's, there's major, major spoilers in this one. But uh, going yeah, to your point so that, about the bromance, though. Um, yeah, the one that comes to mind that I watched recently is the the K drama series uh, Startup, which I recommended to you like a few months ago. Or something. Ah, but yes. I, yes, I won't yes. get into it here because I might probably pick a scene from one uh, a future show of ours, but. Um, Definitely. I'm telling a, you, it's a, Asian cinemas. They've, yeah. they've just taken that. They've taken it and run. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's not just it's K drama, C drama, uh, Thai shows, like everything. It's, they've just they've taken it and run. So I'm waiting for it to show up in Hollywood at some point. I'm sure it will. Hmm. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, with that, with that uh, what do you have for us? All right film pick for for this week for me is Moneyball. So this is the relatively famous uh, 2011 film starring Brad Pitt. Uh, This is available for viewing on Netflix. Um, I picked, it was was actually hard because I actually even shortlisted like six clips and I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. I can't do that. So I'm picking three out of those six and uh, we've got the timestamps in show notes, but um, in words, the scenes are, well, you know, I'll get into that. So um, this is actually based on uh, a 2003 book that was um, written by, by someone. Uh, this is, and it's covering the 2002 season of the Oakland Athletics, which are a baseball team, for those that don't know, um, professional baseball. And a, a neat little tidbit, because uh, we're Canadians, is that this film actually premiered at the 2011 TIFF, Toronto International Film oh. Festival, yeah, which I didn't know. It's kind of neat before it went on to regular play in, in the usual theaters. Okay, so the context here for the scenes are that the Okanese had a uh, very limited budget compared to uh, richer teams in the league, uh, like New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Um, so, I mean, if I just looked at a graph tonight and apparently they were like third lowest budget out of, out of the 30 teams and New York and Boston were like one and two. And it was, it's vastly different scales. Like something, I think it was something like 233 million for New York versus 30 or 40 something million for, for Oakland. Wow. Like it, it's not even close. What kind of, yeah. right. So that's, that's kind of what the, the story is about. Like both the book and the film, how this is a very unfair playing field, but yet we're expected to all be part of the league <laughs> and, and put up competitive teams to be able to play one another. So, how how is that team supposed to do that and that's what the film kind of talks about and so 
for in case we have audience members who are not really into baseball, I'm just going to go very, very, very briefly into a little bit of the baseball terminology. But GM, short for general manager, and this is the executive in the in the organization that's responsible for making trades and player personnel decisions, like sending down to the minors or, the, or calling up to the majors and so on. So that's uh, this is Brad Pitt's character. His name is Billy Bean, and he's the general manager of the Oakland Athletics in the, the time period of this story, uh, which is 2002. So it's before the 2002 baseball season, so spring or just before the spring or late winter kind of thing. And uh, Bean, as GM, he needs to assemble a competitive major league team that's going to be fielded in, in 2002. This is despite losing three players who were key to the success of the, the previous season, 2001, where they they won over 100 games, which for those that don't know, that's... That's a very, very good season. Like most of the time when you have a good season, you're in the 90s in terms of win count. But getting 100 or better is is fairly exceptional. Um, so that they had a great team in terms of win count um, 2001. It's just that it turns out they didn't go all the way to win the World Series in that year. But anyway, the point is they're losing three players to free agency or for whatever reason. And that were, were instrumental to that success. And so... This is this is the context now. The GM needs to figure out where we can't just ha- leave our team decimated. We got to figure out how we're going to fill those gaps, or basically how, overall how we're going to field a good team for 2002. Okay, so hmm. the three scenes that I'm picking here are one is when um, Billy, being the GM, first meets Peter Brand, who is a, played by Jonah Hill, and this is a character who basically he more or less plucks him out from the Cleveland Indians organization what happens uh, scene two is where peter explains his methods and strategy to billy and i'll get into this uh, but basically it's about using mathematics probability statistics uh, to predict performance and therefore use these things to justify decisions and plans and and the third scene is where billy and pete meet together uh, with the oakland ace management staff to kind of lay out their proposed roster and 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 uh, talk about this this new change and how they're going to be running the team. And so, yeah, I mean, Pete explains how at this time, now this is 2002, and I mean, metrics existed, but were very, very much not really used yet. And so it, his, his, Pete's thinking is quite... Um, it's new, it's, uh, it's daring, it's, it's non-standard, non-traditional... And he was in the first scene. He's lamenting to to Billy. It's like, if I if I do the calculations by the numbers, it just makes more sense to to do X and Y. But tradition, because the people that are so entrenched in the in the baseball world, they're thinking something else, they, they, a different strategy, like Z and stuff. Um, so that's what that's about. And then when when Billy and Pete come in and meet the management staff and just try to lay it out. There's just lots of confusion and pushback about you're not making sense, or it's just it was just such a wild proposal about how they're saying we're going to get this guy, we're going to get that way, and then the, the traditional people were saying well, that makes no sense. This guy uh, he can't even throw, or he has a thing, or this guy's too old, and and this and that, because that's what their traditional baseball sense t- told them on at first glance about these proposed players, but 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 Pete and Billy are are saying. Well, no, we're picking them because this guy is great on base percentage. This guy walks a lot, and, and so on. And they just had a real tough time convincing the 
the room that this was the way to go. And yet it didn't matter because he pulled rank to, I'm the GM. So <laughs> one of the lines was, this is not a discussion. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you, this is what we're going to do. Um, so didn't quite get everyone on board, but uh, that's what happened. Um, so supposedly, according to what I've read, this, this film's not fully historically accurate as to what happened. They, there's a few players here and there that they didn't include or what that actually were instrumental in success. So I'll just mention that. But I picked this because I, in general, I find sports statistics and analysis really fascinating. Um, just especially considering that, you know, never really been much of an athlete. And so to, this is kind of like the way I can get involved and, and think about and, and hmm. observe and watch and, and see things about the various major sports. But, uh, you know, I, we both work in tech and in business, I'm a big believer in, in using metrics to, to drive business decisions. And that's essentially what's, what's happening here. Cause it isn't just about, about the game. It's about, cause major league professional sports organizations, they're a business. They make, they need to make money and they need and to the, really the best way to make money is to win, put out a winning team and then the fans come and then you get the money. So. Yeah, I think I'll pause there uh, to get your thoughts. But yeah, this, this is all about this is perhaps the film that put um, metrics and and measurements and, and 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 analytics and stuff about sports on the map for the I guess the common person. Uh, you know what's interesting yeah. is it took ten years. It took the movie to really change anything. I think. I mean, it, that's not to say. Actually, I shouldn't say that necessarily. I believe that certainly the influence that they had on the game in the 2000s certainly played out i'm sure but i think for the common person even me it wasn't probably until 2011 that oh wow that's really interesting that they took a team with such a low payroll compared to the rest of the league mm -hmm. and managed to not only make the playoffs they bested the record of the previous year with three top stars that they lost in, 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 the, in the, during the offseason. So a pivotal moment in, in sports history, for sure. Because, and I don't think it was until maybe, oh, I don't know when it was, but it, it certainly wasn't 10 years ago, or maybe five, six, that it started taking hockey by storm. Like hockey now mm -hmm. is very much uh, and there's still a head-to-head -head, the the traditionalist versus that of the the Bilibin style of things uh, in hockey and maybe there are truths from both sides of the table but the only fact that's not questioned is is that it's being very much used in decision making yeah uh, so it's it's just an interesting point in sports history uh, and it's very fascinating all the same. It, it, not only did they beat the record for and beat the record from 2001, I think they placed first or second for the next four years, three or four years. So it was, this is not a fluke, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it worked back then and it changed conventional thinking using a pragmatic approach, which is fascinating for sure. Yeah. It was just absolutely, it's, 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 it was cool. Like, I don't know if you, I would just work thrilling, but just to see, you know, like a basically a nerd or a geek come yeah, in yeah. and like have these things figured out, and finally someone listens to them, and then the system actually works. And that 
The other 29 teams aren't doing it. So it's like they really went in like a ninja with stealth in that they they plucked out these guys that, you know, if you only because because the numbers said so, but no one else knew them, that they were able to just snatch. Because one of the lines in the scenes that I had was this pitcher, he should be he should be worth three, three million a year, but we can get him for like 200 something thousand because no one else really (laughs) understands his value. Right. It's uh, it's also very interesting to empower the right person to make those decisions. I mean, if this was a situation where it needed to be, where those the majority of those people in the room were involved in the decision, there was no way that would have happened. But it's because Billy Bean was in a in a situation of some some power. And I think it was, it was mentioned in the that particular scene. Look, this guy only answers to the owners or God, <laughs> yep. which was pretty funny. And in, in fine Brad Pitt style, I, I do enjoy when he does those things. Why are we picking this guy? Yeah. Paul? <laughs> yeah. He gets on base. <laughs> yeah. So he just, he, he, he does those things fairly well. And I remember he's, he's, he, as he's presenting this idea, he grabs a marker and pulls it out with his, with his mouth and spits <laughs> <Yeah>. it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what you guys are saying. This is not a discussion. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's this quite bold. Because I, I have, you know, if, if it were me, at least if it were my first yeah. year or something, I'd, I'd want to kind of tap my quote-unquote experts and, and just get everyone on the table and get all my data uh, of people who, who would know. So it's quite bold for him to, to act that way. Uh, in order to make change, pos- any change that's positive, it's... it's uh, Sometimes you're not the most popular person in the room. And got to tip your hat to people like that, that are able to just stand up and just, you know what, this is right. And we're going to do this. And it's good on him to Billy Bean in in real life at any rate, or even both him and the character, how to have pinpointed that the real issue is that as a team, we're working with like, one fifth of the payroll, or whatever it was, yeah. or even worse, right? Than than the other, uh, the the top teams, and we just have to we have to accept that we cannot make our thinking and we cannot take actions based on as if we were on level playing field because we completely right. and totally are not. And mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was in this scene or if it was earlier in the film, but he was trying to convince them of that. Like you guys are still thinking old ways, but you're not recognizing the elephant in the room that. We cannot right. compete at the same level because we don't have the resources that they do. So we have to shift and act differently from them. We cannot act traditionally. We have to act differently because of this situation that we have. Like you can't. If we don't, you're just pretending that you have two hundred million dollars and you're just going to make the wrong decision. And it's yeah, you have, you're playing with the rules of the game that are just going to. You're not going to succeed that way. And I actually don't. I don't know how much of it of it was fictionalized in terms of the. The economics uh, major he just waltzes in there with no <laughs> real baseball, say, uh, experience, and just waltzes in there with uh, with some with basically math armed with math. That's a fascinating story in itself. Like as you said, it's the nerd into the room that just helps helps him, and the fact that he yeah. trusts him too. Right? Well, okay. On, to that point, in fairness, he, he was he was previously just a few days ago working for the Cleveland Indians, so it's not he wasn't uh, okay. completely utterly foreign to baseball. Oh, got it, yeah. got it. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's 
you and I both love sports. Yeah. Could go all day with this one too. So it, uh, you know, yeah. my previous episode was sports related, so I, it's it's an easy one to get behind. So yeah, another minor sure thing to to point out though is it didn't you didn't you like get a kick out of seeing like the old '90s technology, like the the cathode ray tube uh, monitors and the the keyboard <laughs> and, and the laptop, like all big and stuff, and how you yeah, plug yeah. in with the VGA and everything. <laughs> and then the, the 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 printer was like so slow; it was like a whatever, not a dominatrix, yeah, but it was like an inkjet or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the fonts that they're using it's like all Courier new or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Gotta love the early 2000s and 90s, that's for sure. Okay, well, thanks for for that. Thank you all for listening. We'll have more show notes. I think I mispronounced a few things in my my section, (laughs) so we'll probably get them corrected in our show notes. But thanks for hanging in there. And again, if there's any sort of suggestions or recommendations for scenes, please don't hesitate to send your requests in to the email. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can email us at scenereview at 20digit.com and find us on YouTube by searching for 20digit productions. And we're 20digit on Twitter and Instagram. Note that our website and all our online IDs are spelled with numbers, 20digit. Thanks for listening to the 20digit Scene Review Podcast.